Welcome to Fearless Do More, the podcast where we dive into the minds of some extraordinary and fearless businesses and people, people who are challenging the status quo and who are helping to change the world of business around us. I'm your host, Jill Hunter. I'm the managing partner at Square One Law. On each episode, I'll be chatting to innovators, change makers, and trailblazers, where we explore the unique journeys of our guests. We'll delve into the fears they face, the setbacks they've overcome, the lessons they've learned along the way. We'll uncover the secrets behind their resilience and we'll find out what motivates them to keep going, even in the face of adversity. We'll also have a few laughs along the way too. My guests are all leaders who relentlessly pursue their passions, not only to create a better tomorrow, but who inspire us to push our own boundaries, those who fear less and do more. Welcome to this episode of our podcast, Fear Less, Do More. And today I have with me Ian Hughes, who's the founder of Yellow Bikes. Hi, Ian. Hello, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Brilliant, thank you. Great. Well, thank you for joining us today. For people who don't know, what does um, Yellow Bikes do? Um, so we founded Viello, or I founded Viello, um, back in around about 2016. That's when we started thinking about it. So we uh, produce our own range of bicycles. Um, we position them in kind of a high-end boutique style. And quite forward-thinking in terms of where the bicycle trade is in that both of our bikes, which is one's a gravel bike and one's a road bike, uh, all designed and engineered around one by, so it's a single chainring up front. So that was the concept of it. That's that was the idea. Okay, and obviously it's a very competitive market. How how do you how do you make yourself stand out as a brand in that competitive market? Um, well, I think kind of going back through my career, I've probably spent about thirty-seven years in the bicycle trade back in the mid '80s, building brands for other people and getting a lot of knowledge in what the corporate world is doing. Um, and I saw some space in the premium end sector um, of, the, of the trade, of the, of the business, which I think is a lot more sustainable than the kind of mass market side. So that's where we originally wanted to position the brand um, and place it there. And then we started thinking about our customers, who our customers are, what they want to ride, what their values are, etc. And then just being a little bit forward thinking or thinking into the future, what products were doing, what was coming down the line, um, and doing things that the big corporate brands couldn't do, because a lot of the big corporate brands tend to be into a, a yearly cycle of producing a new model range every year. So there's probably lots of attention to detail that I used to get very frustrated with when I was helping build those brands that I thought we could, there's, there's lots of things that could be done better. Um, so that gave me the opportunity to really drill in on all those little details just to make the product really, really finished um, and, and thinking about who our customers are, uh, color palettes, all that kind of thing. And so that's, that's, that's how we differentiate ourselves from the, from the big brands. And uh, you know, chatting earlier with you, I didn't realize that actually it's quite, if you want to launch a bike, uh, a new bike, it's actually relatively easy because you could go and buy a generic frame and just have your mm -hmm. name applied, but you've decided to take a different route. Yes, we did. I mean, um, there's several companies even in the UK and around the world where you can go to a factory in the Far East who produce a catalogue of 
road bikes, gravel bikes, mountain bikes, electric bikes, all sorts. Mm. And that's their stock geometry. And it's kind of called an open mold frame because it's open to everybody. And you can purchase any of those products and you could put your name on the down tube and start creating your own brand around that. And that's what quite a number of companies do. Um, but I wanted to do something that's authentic, really, really authentic. And it's our own. It's not anybody else's. It's not exactly the same frame as somebody else's. Uh, so that's where we really wanted to be, but in the knowledge that it's going to be a lot more expensive to do that, a lot more time consuming, but you own that. That's, that's our product then. And then it's finally the right factory, the right people that can provide that product that are not going to go and sell it off mm. elsewhere as well. So with a relatively new business, how do you, how do you innovate? How do you, did you already have in your mind exactly what you wanted your bike to look like? Or did you get somebody else to, to get involved with that process? No, pretty much. I mean, um, the kind of one by story. So most, most bicycles, um, road bike, gravel bike, mountain bike, have two chain rings on the front. It's called two by. Okay. So we knew around about 2016, looking forward, um, because you talk to group set manufacturers of what their programs are and what they're, what they're going to be delivering in, uh, in the future. Um, most of the two by bikes, road bike, gravel bike, were around 11 speed with two chainings up front. A lot of the group set manufacturers we understood in about 2016 were going 12 speed, maybe even 13 speed. So we could calculate with a single chaining up front and the size of the cassette at the back it's going to duplicate what the rider is getting over a two by group set. So from 11 speed going to 12 speed and 13 speed, um, you're going to provide the, the rider exactly the same number of ratios from the climbing gear to the fastest gear, but with a single chain ring. That, from an engineering perspective, opens up a whole new world of how we can design the frame, how we can engineer the frame. Uh, so that, that was the starting point. Um, and the space that a single chain ring takes where it's attached to the crank set is much less than if you've got two chain rings put together. So we can increase the tube shape down into what's called the bottom bracket where the axle goes through. We can increase that symmetrically, which makes that section a lot wider. And that therefore makes the, the bottom bracket a lot stiffer. So as soon as you start pedaling, it's a lot more efficient than a two by frame. And we can check that on computer simulations, which is what we did. And we realized we're increasing that stiffness by about 32% compared to a two by. So performance wise, that's like, okay, this is really interesting. And then you start, we started thinking about who are our customers, um, looking into what a lot of the big corporate brands do. They spend millions and millions on Tour de France, pro cycling, pro tour athletes, that kind of thing, which is great. But now we also, I'm, I'm aware that the influence on consumers of what's going on in the tour isn't so great. And certainly the type of customer that can afford a pro tour style of bike are not built like pro tour athletes. Mm. <laughs> They're not. So we have to take that into consideration as well, which is what we did. Um, we also knew at that time rim width for bicycle tires, road bike especially, were going slightly wider and the tire width was going slightly wider. So on a normal road bike, you'd be running um, 
tire width of about 25 to 28 millimeters with a tire pressure at about 110 psi. That's really, really hard, very, very harsh. Think about the real world riding conditions where the tarmac is at the moment, broken tarmac and gravel. You ride that style of bike and after about an hour or so, you get all that vibration through it. It starts to become very, very uncomfortable. So we knew rim width, tire width was going wider, lower tire pressure. So we're now running about 30, 32 millimeters wide, tire pressure of about 65 PSI. And then all the studies of biomechanical efficiency, you're riding further, faster, longer, and it's a lot more comfortable to ride in, let's say, you know, in the roads out in Northumberland or real road riding conditions. So the rider is going to be a lot more comfortable, less vibration, less fatigue um, by going wider tire width and rim width. So we can then engineer the frame to accommodate those, those wider tires. Um, and then you can start talking about geometry. So how the rider sits on the bike as well. So going back to Pro Tour athletes and the Pro Tour bikes, they're restricted by geometry rules set out by the UCI. So there's certain restrictions of seat angle, top tube length, et cetera, that's all um, restricted under strict rules by the UCI. And what a lot of the Pro Tour riders want to do is bring their body weight and their hips slightly further forward over the crank set. But because they're, combined, they're confined by UCI rules, there's only a certain amount of seat angle they can bring slightly further forward. So what they've started to do was cut the nose of the saddle off slightly shorter nose saddle so they can bring the hips slightly further forward. We're not bound by those rules at all. So we can then adjust the seat tube angle slightly further forward and give the rider that opportunity to be more biomechanically efficient. Because our customers are not built like pro tour athletes, we're not offering them a super long top tube and a slammed riding position where the saddle's here and the, the bar handlebar is here. Uh, we can increase the head tube slightly taller uh, so overall, we can give the rider a lot more comfortable riding position, uh, both physically with how they sit on the bike, um, comfort in terms of how the, the tire works with the, with the road surface as well. Um, so that's kind of the, the overall idea for, for the road bike. And then we've made some quirky engineering detail in the seat stay area to provide some more efficiency. So normally uh, the seat stay comes from the rear axle, the dropout to the top of the top tube, that's called the, the, the seat stay. Um, and we've engineered that with a little kink to provide some more mechanical compliance uh, in that direction. So it's a combination of tube shapes in carbon fiber, and then the layup of the carbon fiber and the resins, um, how you can then engineer the way that frame performs for, for the customer. So Obviously, you've gone through a big innovation piece there, and it sounds like you've come out with some quite sort of game-changing innovations um, for each of the different types of bike. What's been your attitude to intellectual property? Have you protected your IP? Um, it's a difficult one to do in terms of you can put a patent on it. You can spend more time um, working on a patent like that. If you were a group set or a component manufacturer, it's probably worth doing that. From a bicycle manufacturer, what you tend to find is that once you've written out all of the, uh, the IP, once you've gone through all of the 
um, you know, the paperwork and the the, uh, the legals to to uh, to protect it, um, and then you publish it. What a, another manufacturer will come and do and just read through all of that, just pick it to pieces, and then just change it very very slightly. So in in some cases, you've got to kind of make that decision of do you really want to protect it to that nth degree, or do you just keep it open? And if somebody does mimic it or do something with it, we were the first to market. Uh, so no, we, we, we've protected it in a way that we've been brave enough. Uh, and so far, there's no other manufacturer that's produced a one by road bike frame set yet. Brilliant. Well, that's, yeah, that's a great achievement, isn't it? <laughs> to be the, the first at doing something that's actually really successful as well. And uh... yeah, we think we think it's been successful. I mean, you know, when we when we launched it to the market, we knew that a lot of road bike, classic road bike cycling fans weren't going to get it. You know, when we when we launched it and published it and had it reviewed, um, a lot of the reviews were, "Oh, who who are this young upstart company? Who do they think they are? We've seen this happen before, and you know, it's it's going to fail." And we knew that was going to happen. And um, keyboard warriors, and especially classic <laughs> road cyclists, you know, just kind of love doing that. But you fast forward that on to now and all the times we have, the latest times we have the bikes reviewed, that has switched. A lot of people actually get it and understand it. You're still going to get 20% that dislike it or naysayers or those keyboard warriors and those classic road cyclists. And there's a place for that. Mm. You know, Don't get me wrong, we're not going to fight with them because I think there's, there's enough space in, in cycling to have all sorts of different groups. But I think we're nailing our flag to the mast that we are quite brave and forward thinking and this is what we bring and all the reviews that we've had kind of endorse that as well so it, it then has some real validity. It's quite a challenge though isn't it to break into a market where you know that there are lots of very opinionated people and very mm -hmm. set mindsets mm -hmm. to to then go no actually we're going to do something different here and we're going to stick to our guns despite yes. the fact the initial feedback is is, yes. is, is not you know overwhelmingly positive. Mm -hmm. um, when you set up the business, did you did you know that you were going to go into that sort of environment where it may be a challenge to convince people that there was a different way of doing things? Oh, very much so. Very, very much so. Again, you know, kind of knowing consumers, um, especially cycling consumers and classic road cyclists, and um, I guess there's keyboard warriors, as I call them, in in in, in every every area but very much so on cyclists they, they love to have their opinion and, and let it be known and share that voice um so we were aware that that was going to happen and then i guess it's how you react to that mm. do you want to kind of jump in and say you're wrong we're right um or do you just carefully just keep your message running through and we know some of it will stick and we're always aware that you know there's like i said i think roughly about 20 percent. i would say we know i'm not going to like it they're not going to get it that's fine. You know, there's, there's no point in fighting with them. Uh, but gradually, gradually, you just keep that message, that clear, consistent message rolling through and people get it. You know, they understand it. That's how you position your brand and you build your brand. And obviously you've had a, a lot of experience historically in, build, in building um, brands. Have you, have you always been a cycling enthusiast? Um, I think from a kid, very, very early days when I remember living back at home, uh, getting my dad's bike and trying to make it into a tracking bike and doing jumps and stuff like that and breaking frames and that kind of thing <laughs> um, was, was where I started uh, and then you know kind of journey goes through different things into 
uh, windsurfing and then early mountain biking. I think that's kind of rekindled uh, the cycling enthusiasm. Uh, so yeah, that, that's kind of where that, that kicked back in again. It must be very rewarding combining sort of business and, and passion at the, at the same time. Yeah, to be honest, I mean, most of my career has done that. It you know, kind of started when I left school, um, did an apprenticeship in a um, what was a British Leyland garage and ended up uh, doing a City and Guilds apprenticeship, uh, Jaguar factory train motor vehicle mechanic. So I've had the kind of mechanical bits and pieces and then my career path went to DJing, to working on commercial radio, to windsurfing, to then mountain biking and here, here, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so it's been quite quite a journey. Uh, in five words, how would you summarize the features of that journey? That's probably a really, really interesting question, trying to think of five words to, to do that. But I guess it's kind of creative, um, it's resilient, it's obsession, uh, it's agility, and probably collaboration, I would say, are the, are the five words that I would I would choose. That's a really interesting choice. I mean, the one that stands out to me is obsession. Mm -hmm. um, what do you mean by obsession? Um, I think obsession is is kind of a, a obsession in obsession to detail in everything we do on on the on the on all the products we produce. Um, yeah, a, there's kind of an OCD nature between our engineer myself. Um, on, on, on everything we do, it's got to be right. It's got to be absolutely spot on. Is that the best we can do? Can we make it better? Can we fine tune it? So that obsession to detail, uh, I think is probably where that, that comes from. Are you ever satisfied? No, I don't think you ever are satisfied, are you? You, you always kind of think, okay, that's great. And then you come back the next morning and say, mm, maybe you could. Our engineer, definitely. Jens, our engineer, uh, he'll come up with an idea and yeah, and then a week later, oh, I've just retuned it a little bit, <laughs> and we have to kind of make a point. Okay, let's let's do that as a rolling change. But um, yeah, just lots and lots of detail. I could... And collaboration, I think, is is more is becoming more of a theme now in in business. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it used to be when when I first started practicing twenty odd years ago, people were very focused on themselves and mm -hmm. keeping keeping everybody else out and mm -hmm. you know not not working with other people but more yeah. and more when I talk to business people now they talk about collaboration they talk about partnerships mm -hmm. you've used that word to describe your journey mm -hmm. what how important are collaborations to you um I think they're very very important we did a kind of a first real collaboration with a guy called David Miller ex-pro cyclist who I knew back in the, the Scott days and he was creating his own uh, bicycle clothing brand and he wanted to have a gravel bike um, to help launch his, his dirt, dirt collection. Uh, so we threw some ideas around on, on how that would look and then came up with uh, a collaboration with, with David Miller and, and Chapter 3 and we created a limited edition number of frames with his colorway, with his look. Um, so that kind of helped him launch uh, into that gravel sector that dirt apparel sector and it helped us give us a bit more brand brand width and credibility of, of our brand uh, working with with david miller and off the back of that we've got a number of other collaborations which we're just about to launch um literally next month in california with uh, with two companies brilliant what makes a successful collaboration then what's I think it's the, the vision and the partnership from both sides. Mm. Uh, it really is. It's it's uh, it's the harmony from 
both things that you're doing. So I tend to come up with a, an idea, run it past uh, a, a, another company um, or another brand, um, and then get their ideas, and then we kind of work on it. And does it hit the spot? Yes, it does. And we'll know when we launch it, when we, when we put it out there. But we're, we're pretty excited. There's two new things that are coming up that are really, really exciting. We're, yeah. I can see that you're very excited. Yes, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, no, it's great. I mean, it's, it's taken a while to get them there, yeah. but they are just stunning. They're, they're going to be a showstopper. Well, yeah. it's, it's great that you know it's great to have those those things in the pipeline. And is that in terms of the ambition for the business? Is it more of uh, more of that sort of collaborative stuff? I think or it's keeping. Designs yeah, or? I think it's keeping an open space as well. Because once we start getting so much a reputation, but we're capable of thinking again slightly outside of the box and yeah. how we can do stuff. I don't see it's a must-have thing as part of building your brand. I think it's a nice-to-have thing. And mm. if you keep it in that way, um, then you're steering the brand in the way that you want to, but you're just adding some more bandwidth to it yeah. as well. And you work with your, with your son, Trevor. Yes. Um, What's that like working with? Uh, <laughs> do you assu automatically assume the parent role in this? Or? <laughs> That was kind of a nervous laugh, I think, from, from, <laughs> from my point of the question. Um, yeah, I mean, when I first suggested Trevor comes into the business, um, he'd been at university, got a, a degree um, in business with a financial attachment. When I was working at Scott, Trevor would come and help me at different events. So he kind of had one foot in the, in the bicycle trade anyway. Um, and when I set up my own independent distribution company, I said, look, uh, here's my vision. If you want to come and join me, great. If you don't, you know, there's no pressure. And he said, no, I'd love to come and join you. And I think the working relationship with him, obviously being able to trust somebody implicitly in the business is, is really, really important. And then his role um, in the business as well, what he looks after, and then I kind of describe it as old school, new school. So I'm kind of old school, knowing the trade, the bicycle business, that kind of thing, which he'll come and ask me some questions about. Mm. His new school in terms of digital, social media, that kind of thing. Um, so we work off one another, you know, pretty pretty closely. Um, yeah, for sure. There's times it's like, okay, I have to wear my my hat of um, employer, employee, and also father and son hat yeah. and support him in, in various ways. He's got a young family, challenges of all, all that thing, you know, coming in as well. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good balance, I think, you know, overall. Um, nobody gives you a, a manuscript or a rule book of what it's like working with <laughs> siblings, with fathers or sons or fathers and daughters or you know other people in the business as well but i think you you kind of sit down and figure it out and just talk it through that's always the best thing do you talk about anything other than cycling together now oh we have common <laughs> lots of common things you know in terms of motorsport formula one cars uh, other other areas as well and um that kind of thing and i, I think being able to offer your experience to the next generation and grandchildren as well, I think is really, really important because there's so many business people, so many people that have got huge amounts of knowledge mm. and 
they never get a chance of kind of sharing that down to the next generation. Um, and I think sharing that experience is, is really, really important. I think it's vital, personally. So you've talked there about the importance of um, sharing information across generations and, um, and experiences. If you were going to give yourself, your former self, your younger self, um, starting out you know, before you got into your own business, uh, one piece of advice, what would that be? Believe in yourself. Yeah. Yeah, it took a while for me to understand. That's just quite emotional, that question, sorry. Um, about believing in yourself, because it, it takes a while for you to, um, or it did for me anyway, to understand what I was good at. Uh, and I think that, yeah, believe in yourself. Absolutely. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think um, we seem to be born into self-doubt and, mm. and finding yourself and having that authenticity that you started, you know, off talking about is, is quite a powerful, it's quite a powerful thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, thank you for sharing that with me. Pleasure. Um, and I think that's a really nice place to end. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Fear Less, Do More. All of our guests come from a diverse range of backgrounds but they all share a common drive to face their fears, take action and create meaningful impact. If you've enjoyed this episode of our podcast, please follow us at Square One Law on Instagram and LinkedIn and share the content with your friends, family and networks. Thank you and see you again on our next episode.